This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, June 21st. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride loses two locals. San Miguel sees breakthrough COVID cases. Town Park update moves forward and a mountain weather forecast. But first, San Miguel County Search and Rescue, Telluride Fire Protection District EMS, and the Telluride Marshals Department responded to a UTV rollover on Black Bear Pass on Sunday. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, the driver, a 51-year-old man from Arizona, was driving up Black Bear Pass in the wrong direction when the vehicle turned on its side while going over a large rock pile. The sheriff's office says the man was able to self-extricate uninjured and the UTV was towed from the scene. Telluride lost two members of its community last week. On Wednesday, Silas Barrier passed away in a car crash on Highway 550 outside of Ridgeway. He was 26 years old. According to the Uray County Coroner, the crash took place in the early morning. The cause is still unclear. Colorado State Patrol is investigating the crash. State Patrol officials say it appears Barrier was driving westbound on the highway when the car crossed the center lane and rolled down an embankment. Barrier appeared to be wearing a seatbelt and was ejected from the car. He is survived by his parents, Amy and Thad, his brother Wyatt, and his fiancée, Catherine. There will be a celebration of life in honor of Silas at the Sheridan Opera House on Tuesday, June 22nd at 2 p.m. On Thursday, former Telluride resident Jason Russell drowned while kayaking on the Crystal River. According to the Pitkin County Coroner's Office, Russell was in a group of three when his kayak overturned and he was released in the meat grinder area north of Redstone. Russell's body was recovered later that afternoon in the area he was last seen. He was 41 years old. Russell lived in Roaring Fork Valley, but grew up in Telluride, working for many years as an outdoor instructor for Telluride Academy. Russell is survived by his wife, Jessica, who he married earlier this month, his brother, Garrett, and his parents, Sally and Jim. San Miguel County has experienced a number of breakthrough COVID cases. The CDC defines it as such in a a situation where somebody is fully vaccinated, so at least two weeks after their full dose, um, whether that's two doses from Moderna or Pfizer or the one dose from Johnson & Johnson, and then they do detect COVID in that patient. So somebody is fully vaccinated and still gets COVID. That's Lindsay Mills, public information consultant for San Miguel County. She notes, luckily, all the breakthrough cases in the county have appeared with very mild symptoms. But she adds that doesn't mean people should let their guard down. We shouldn't be 100 percent, you know, loose in our behaviors. There's a chance you could still be infected, knowing that no vaccine is ever 100 percent effective. Um, There's always a chance that you could be reinfected or be infected with whatever disease that vaccine is treating. The breakthrough cases in San Miguel were detected through contact tracing, but Mills says even if someone is fully vaccinated, they should still get tested if they feel sick. There's no harm in getting tested out of this abundance of caution. Um, There is still a chance if you do get infected as a breakthrough case, 
that you could transmit COVID to someone else. And, it, you know, even the smallest symptoms of cold, of a cold could very well be COVID, even though you are fully vaccinated. At the same time, the county has also confirmed three cases of the Delta variant, which the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention identifies as a variant of concern. Two of the cases were breakthrough cases where the individuals recovered. The third was an unvaccinated person who later died due to COVID-related illness. To date, San Miguel County has seen seven breakthrough cases of COVID-19 out of 913 confirmed positive cases. Telluride's Town Park is one step closer to getting a grass lift. Town Park is due for a remodel as part of the Town Park Master Plan update, which looks to upgrade the park itself, in addition to the river trail and pocket parks on Main Street. Last week, the Telluride Parks and Recreation Commission approved schematic designs for the Town Park core area. That's the skate park, warming hut, vendor staging areas, and the oval. When it comes to the core area, Pedro Campos notes they're taking a holistic approach. Looking very closely at interrelationships between each of the facilities and how they can each support each other and synergies based on views, locations, um, the layout and shape of each of the facilities. Campos works with Zirin and Associates, the consulting company working with the town on the master plan update. For the skate park, the town is expanding the area. Here's Zirin's Tim Halbican. The big picture here is is replacing the Voodoo uh, slash Youth Link uh, facilities uh, with largely the perimeter area of the park. Here is is uh, your more street style uh, features and beginner intermediate features. Uh, you know, the number one priority here is to replace that beginner intermediate. Um, element of the of the skate park. For the oval, the town plans to leave portions of the space grass, but also add a multi-use surface court. We're still trying to preserve the oval shape um, and provide that multi-use um, surface for promoting greater use of the oval across seasons. Uh, so for the winter to facilitate the ice rink, as, as well as also preserving some of the green space. Finally, the warming hut. Through the update, the current hut will be taken down with a new warming hut restroom youth center space constructed on the southwest side of the oval between the skate park. The idea was that the, the warming hut could act as really a park pavilion and that we could open up the doors on uh, both the north and the uh, east side and have that function independently during festivals with a fence line along the western edge. Timosa with Zirin and Associates. The new space will be two floors with the warming hut and bathrooms on the first level and the youth space on the top floor. We have um, two rooms. We have one room that's kind of a main activity area and then a second area that's more of a quiet study area. What this allows people to do or kids to do is come here and if they have some homework to do between activities, they can come up and use the study area while the separate activity is going up on in the youth center. Or you could really have two different groups of different ages uh, function in each of these rooms. On the whole, the Parks and Recreation Commission was highly supportive of the plan with a few areas of concern. 
for one, the use of space in the warming hut. Here's commission member JJ Osala. I'm not crazy about the wasted lobby space in the middle. I think that space could potentially be consolidated if you want to consolidate, for example, the elevator and the stair next to each other. You know, you could kind of shorten the width of that building, save on cost and make it a more functional area. The the use of that lobby space and or that hallway space just seems maybe excessive and could be more efficiently designed. There's also the question of the bra. The current plan has the bra staying in its current location. But Commission member Teddy Errico thinks it needs a new home. The fact that we're still talking about festival egress going under that bra I'd like to move that bra to the northwest corner where it opens up more to the new grass and maybe slightly expanded grass off the schematic, um, better view corridors, and then gives you more room and more space to create that main entryway when that day comes north of, of the areas that we're talking about. Telluride Town Council liaison Adrian Christie agrees. As someone who just had an event there and People were coming to the park to play softball. They were riding their bikes through our event the whole time, which we know is part of the deal, but it also is just a little bit disruptive for for all parties. So the circulation there, I think not just festival, but just general, um, I think it would be great to consider that uh, or reconsider how that works. The Zirin and Associates team says it plans to look at the suggestions and implement them into the final design where appropriate. The Parks and Recreation Commission unanimously approved the schematic designs for the core area. Next step is the design phase. The town plans to begin construction on the skate park area this fall, with construction on the warming hut and oval taking place in 2022. During the meeting, the Parks and Recreation Commission also approved the schematic design for a new restroom, shower facility, and dumpster enclosure in the town park campground. The town plans to move forward with the design process and construction taking place later this fall. Ever since Telluride's earliest days, skiing has been a part of life. Those will be the opening words adorning a plaque in Oak Street Plaza. This will be a planter with uh, seating around it. That's Katie Singer, Donor Relations and Events Director at the Telluride Foundation, speaking before Mountain Village Town Council earlier this year. The Telluride Foundation is constructing the monument in honor of Jim Wells and Ron and Joyce Allred. Uh, the Telluride Foundation wishes to celebrate the vision that the Allreds and Mr. Wells um, turned into the creation of a world-class resort. Um, the Allreds and the Wells purchased the ski area and built a world-class resort along with the Mountain Village, of course. Um, this, ev- this evolution was pivotal as it allowed the local economy to move away from the declining industry of mining to an economy of recreation and tourism that sustains us today. Last week, Mountain Village Town Council approved the language for the plaque. While the monument will be in Telluride, the land belongs to Mountain Village and requires council approval. The plaque will feature a story of the ski resort, starting with the mining days, moving through the creation of the resort with Senior Mahoney and Joe Zoline, ending with an acknowledgement of the Allreds and Wells's dream turned reality for what the resort is today. The Telluride Foundation plans to begin construction on the monument later this summer. 
Barry Jenkins will be stepping in as guest director for the 2021 Telluride Film Festival. The festival made the announcement last week. Jenkins is an Academy Award-winning director hailed for his debut film Medicine for Melancholy and his film Moonlight, which won him Best Adapted Screenplay at the Academy Awards and Best Picture at the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes. Moonlight premiered at the Telluride Film Festival in 2016. In addition to film, Jenkins' television work has included Dear White People and the new release The Underground Railroad. According to the film festival, as guest director, Jenkins will help develop the film lineup and collaborate on programming. In a news release, Julie Hunsinger, executive director of the Telluride Film Festival, notes organizers look for film knowledge and appreciation in addition to an ephemeral heart when it comes to picking the guest director. She notes Jenkins, quote, checks every box and more. The Telluride Film Festival will take place in Telluride over Labor Day weekend, September 2nd through 6th. A former Ridgeway doctor has agreed to stop practicing medicine and pay a penalty to resolve civil allegations that he unlawfully prescribed controlled substances without a medical license, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. The Justice Department says Dr. Lauren Sherwood's medical license with the state of Colorado expired on April 30, 2017. However, he continued to issue prescriptions for controlled substances for nearly nine more months. The department adds, by prescribing the medicine without a license, Sherwood caused invalid claim payments through the Medicare program. The Justice Department notes Sherwood cooperated with the government's investigation into the allegations and has agreed to stop practicing medicine in Colorado or any other state, in addition to paying a $21,000 fee. After a record-breaking wildfire season in 2020, many communities in the West are in recovery mode. It's tough work to make a burned area accessible to hikers and bikers and to keep nearby waterways from filling with ash and charred debris. From Aspen Public Radio, reporter Alex Hager caught up with a team doing exactly that in a new burn scar along the banks of the Colorado River. He filed this postcard. Hi, my name is Chad Rudo. I'm the Water Quality Program Manager for Roaring Fork Conservancy. Where are we? Can you kind of tell me what we're looking at and, and, and why we're here? Yeah, so we're maybe a mile up the Grizzly Creek Trail, uh, right by the rushing Grizzly Creek that you can hear in the background here. And we're here to do some trail work around the fire. And as we've walked up the valley here, we've seen the classic sort of mosaic burn pattern where we see some patches that are truly untouched and still in great shape. We're seeing some burned areas. We've had a lot of fires all across the West, all across Colorado, all across this region particularly. Is there something kind of especially dangerous about the fact that this one happened like on top of the Colorado River? The Colorado River is an incredibly hard working river. It supplies water for 40 million people as it makes its way all the way downstream to the, the Gulf of California. We are right here just a mile away from the Colorado River. So it's a very direct line for, you know, anything that happens here in the burn area to just make its way right into the Colorado River. And we're not that far upstream of Glenwood Springs. When we're looking at the bigger picture of what happens 
with burns along really any body of water, but right here, the creek and Colorado River. You know, why does that matter? Where, where does a fire fit in with the water? When you have less vegetation to hold soil in place, then there's the potential for a lot of mud and debris to make its way into the stream system. Water quality is also a potential impact. Different chemicals that may come from the burn area itself, or also, you know, a lot of uh, pollutants will attach themselves to sediments. So just by allowing sediment into the stream system, um, those pollutants can sort of tag along, if you will. Can I get you to tell me your name and what your position is and, and why you're involved here? My name is Carl Nelson. I'm the field coordinator for Roaring Fork Outdoor Volunteers. This is my eighth summer doing this job. It's my passion to be working outside and being on the trails, so happy to be here. And uh, you've got quite a set of tools here. What, what are we carrying and what are they going to do? Well, I have a McLeod here and a Pulaski. The McLeod is really good for raking debris and uh, moving stuff out of the way for fires, but it's also a really good trail tool for scraping gravel, dirt, and debris. And why is this restoration work so important? I mean, you know, the, the stuff that we're doing today with these tools that you got strapped to your back, what kind of difference is this going to make for the, you know, the wild landscape? If you maintain the trail and make it a clear, easy to see walking path, then people will stick to that path and walk on the same surface. We're not trying to sanitize the wilderness. We're trying to ha have it be a more enjoyable experience for all of our users and less impactful to the wildlife around it so everybody stays on the same trail. We're coming into what potentially looks like another year of these dry, drought-like conditions. And so it adds to a sense of urgency as far as being cautious around our, our local forests and, and keeping an eye on our water resources. And uh, you know, you are someone who has dedicated quite a bit of time in life to protecting water. Why do you care? Like, why is this important? Not only is this, um, this important to me from a work standpoint and water quality standpoint, but I live in Glenwood. Um, we're raising a family in Glenwood. This is actually a trail we've hiked a lot uh, with our boys. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a personal connection as well. So I'm happy to get out here and do this work and I'm actually excited to, to bring my boys up here and kind of see how things have changed and, and talk about what those changes mean with them. That was Aspen Public Radio's Alex Hager reporting. Colorado's financial picture is continuing to improve as the coronavirus lessens its grip on the economy. But as KOTO Scott Franz reports, experts at the state capitol say the recovery comes with some caveats. One issue is the ongoing disparity between people making lots of money and lower-income workers. Elizabeth Ramey is an economist advising lawmakers. Low-wage workers' employment has improved quite a bit in 2021, but it's still almost 6% below pre-pandemic levels. 
levels. Meanwhile, stronger than expected income tax revenue is boosting the state's revenue projections by $1.6 billion. But it is not likely they will get to keep all of it. The economy is recovering so quickly, lawmakers are expecting to refund billions of dollars to taxpayers in the coming years because of the revenue caps put in place by the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, or TABOR. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for patchy smoke tonight with mostly clear skies and a low around 50 degrees. Tuesday there should be patchy smoke with sunny skies and a high near 80. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Tuesday night expect mostly clear skies with a low around 50. There is a red flag warning in effect. Wednesday, there is a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms with partly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is in the mid-70s with a low around 50 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, June 21st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Attention parents with young children. Do you have questions about your toddler? Bright Futures is partnering with local toddler experts to bring you a free virtual panel discussion all about toddlers. Hi, this is Madeline with Bright Futures. All About Toddlers will take place in English on Wednesday, June 23rd from 7 to 8 p.m. on Zoom. During this discussion, we will cover topics like toilet learning, tantrums, development, and independent activity ideas for toddlers. For more information or to register, please visit our website, brightfuturesforchildren.org. You can also email me at madeline at brightfuturesforchildren.org. Hey, Koto listeners. Has the pandemic changed how you view healthcare? Are there programs you would like to see in our community relating to your health and well-being? Tri-County Health Network needs your help. From behavioral health resources to food access and everything in between, let us know how we can help make the community we share equitable for all. The survey is anonymous and can be completed online at tchnetwork.org forward slash health survey in both English and Spanish. TCH Network staff will also be available at local farmers markets and other community events with tablets to collect surveys from residents who may not have easy access to computers or Wi-Fi. We can't wait to hear from you soon. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.